Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Hey, what's going on, Cathedral Church? Woo! I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's a good day to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not, don't worry, we'll get you covered. I love this church. My God, I walked in this morning and they were practicing, uh, they were uh, not practicing, they were going over the worship set and I was like, ooh, it's gonna be a hot one today. It's gonna be a hot one today. I love the way we, we worship. I love the way we come together as one church, one body, one, one group of believers and lift our hands and lift our voices and, and, and man, I just love it. So anyway, I have never drank Red Bull. That's a true story. I've never drank, I, I drink water tree from orange water, but I don't drink Red Bull. So I got about one cup of coffee a day. I was just made like this. So I don't know, something about the word of God makes me come alive. And so anyway, this morning, I'm not gonna spend much time um, belaboring anything on the front end because we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. But I do want to give honor where honor is due. So very, very grateful to sit under the leadership of this house. Pastor Feldshaw, Pastor Suzanne Feldshaw, it's an honor, it's a privilege. I don't take it lightly. You shouldn't either. They're bad of the bone. So, and I'm, it's an honor, an honor to serve here. I also want to acknowledge my mom and dad. They are here. They're sitting in the back. They got that back row Baptist spirit. It's okay. It's okay. They're going to get into heaven and it's all right. So I'm just kidding. My mom and dad, Jim and Rosemary Crozier, are here all the way from the metropolis of liberal Kansas. And uh, I was born and raised, so I'm glad to have them here. I've got some friends here too. I'm not going to you know, mention everybody, but I saw some of y'all coming in. But I have to tell you, I'm feeling a little bit of pressure because... My daughter's principal is here. And I'm like, man, can I say ain't and all that kind of stuff? Like, what about my diction? Like, I don't know. But anyway, grace me, Miss Kelly. Grace me. Okay. So anyway, I'm so glad to have her and some of her staff and faculty here. And what a blessing. Um, Cathedral, let's give them a welcome, right? All of our visitors. We're so glad you're here this morning. So glad you're here with us in the house of the Lord. Amen. I have to tell you something funny real quick before I get started. Um, my daughter said, Mom, let me have your phone so I can take pictures of you. Y'all know she ain't over there taking no pictures of me. She been like doing her thing, playing some game on her phone, whatever. But I was like, oh no, my scripture is on my phone. And she's all the way over here. So I run back to the back to my mom. I'm like, Mom, can I borrow your phone? I need, I need a King James Bible and I can find it right here. So she hands me her phone, but it's got a passcode protection on it, right? And I said, what's your passcode? She said, my birthday. <laughs> Can you just give me those digits, mom? <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you because I'm not giving away her age, but uh, praise the Lord, saints and friends alike, right? So if you would go, let me open my mama's phone real quick. 0619, I ain't saying the rest of it. All right, here we go. <laughs> And actually, if I could get some help, maybe if, if uh, y'all in the back have the King James version of this, we going with that today. Would you mind standing with me, please, this morning for the reading of God's word? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Just a couple of verses is all we need this morning. Hallelujah. Starting with verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. 
<laughs> and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses, chapter 15, excuse me, verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi. This morning I'd like to speak to you from the thought, look up. Look up. Look up. Awesome God, we thank you this morning for your power, for your presence that is already here. We thank you, God, for your word because the anointing to destroy the yoke of bondage is on the word. I thank you, Father God, that you would use me as a ready writer, Father God. Let me hear from your spirit and utter it out of these lips of clay. God, help me say it like I see it and make this thing come alive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, thank you. Well, praise the Lord. I look slick right up here. So in order for us to understand what's happening in Exodus 17, we're going to talk about the history of these people just for a second. We got, I got to lay some history down because I don't just assume we're all church folks. Not everybody cut their teeth on church pews. Not everybody colored coloring sheets in a kid's church, right? So not everybody maybe knows the background of these people that we land on in Exodus 17. These are the Hebrew people. These are God's chosen people. But these are people who have been in bondage for four hundred years. Four hundred years. It's not a second. It's not a decade. It's four zero zero. Four hundred years. They've been in bondage. They've been in slavery. That means they were in bondage. Their, grand, their parents were in bondage. Their grandma and grandpa were slaves. Their grandma and grandpa and grandma and grandpa, great grandma and great, 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 way up 400 years of their people have been in slavery to the Egyptians. It's not a short-term thing. It's been a long time. Some of y'all think you've been waiting on God. These folks have been waiting for 400 years. It's been 400 years that they've been in a foreign land. It's been 400 years that they've had a foreign leader, a foreign ruler. It's been 400 years they've been living around foreign gods. It's been 400 years without their culture, without the spices to make their food right. You know the way your grandma made it. 400 years without the, the, the sounds of celebration in worship. 400 years in bondage and captivity. And I'm just wondering, when I thought about these people, they're hurting, their heritage has been stripped away, their identity has been lost and forgotten, and, and possibly they have forgotten who they even were. And then here comes Moses, right? Like it's 400 years, and then Moses shows up on the scene. And this is a moment, right? He's the great deliverer, our deliverers, right? All that whole thing. And so Moses shows up on the scene. He's the great deliverer. He's been prophesied for 400 years. But imagine after 400 years of slavery, by now, a deliverer probably sounds like the tooth fairy. For real. By now, it's like folklore. It's a legend. It's the kukui. I don't know. You got to be Mexican to understand that. <laughs> it's, it's a legend. It's a folklore. It's a fable. It's a tale. And, and Moses shows up the deliverer, and, and they're probably like, what, is this really gonna be real? Because you have to understand, like we watch the movies and we read the scripture, but we have a New Testament understanding of looking back in history, but they're living it out. 
And so after 400 years, not just in slavery, y'all, in silence, God ain't talking to no one, not a sound. 400 years, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. 400 years, they didn't have Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. They didn't have, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shepherd. 400 years of silence, no breath from heaven, no sound, no noise, no move of God, just a promise and silence. Oh, and bondage. And then Moses comes, and this is a moment because they don't even really know if he belongs there. And I don't have time to go into that because that's not even what I'm talking about today. But he comes on the scene and he's like, let my people go, right? He goes in, does the whole thing with Pharaoh. We're gonna skip through this really quickly. He comes in, there's the let my people go. Then the plagues start happening all over the place and the locusts and the, and the cattle and the water turn into blood and all these different things. So, so 400 years we ain't heard from God. And now we got a deliverer and we got stuff moving. It would get my attention. Would it get your attention? But get my attention. And so they're, they're watching, and, and this, all of this has happened. And then, and then after the final plague, where the death angel comes and kills the firstborn son of every Egyptian household, now we have Pharaoh's attention. And Pharaoh's like, leave. You're free. You're free to go. Load it up. Move it out. Get on out of here. And so now, this is crazy. 400 years of slavery and bondage, Boom, there's Moses, boom, there's plagues, boom, Pharaoh said we could go. What is happening right now? This is kind of crazy, because we don't know you. We heard about you. Grandma, great-grandma sang some songs at one point, but we know what the Egyptians eat, and we know what the Egyptians worship, and we know they don't treat us well, but this is what we know. Mm, That's a whole nother sermon. And then, and then they, get, they leave, and they're like, can you just see them? I, I can't paint it like I want to paint it because I'm not preaching about this part, but I just can see them. Like, they're leaving, and it's crazy, but every now and then they got to be like, yeah. right? Yay! Right? Because that's how we do. That's how we do. And so, so then they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army decided, no, we want our slaves back, so they're running to go get them. All of a sudden, God does what only God can do, and he flexes on them, because God can flex man. And so Moses lifts up his rod. And by the way, I think this is kind of cool. And this is a side note. This morning when I was praying, this is for somebody. I don't know who it's for, but, but this is for somebody. See, we always talk about Moses' rod, right? He had his rod. He had his staff. Well, it was called in the text, the rod of Moses, until Moses shows up in front of the Pharaoh. When Moses shows up in front of the Pharaoh and he throws that rod down and it turns into a snake, then he picks that rod back up and it turns right back into a rod. From that moment forward, it's called the rod of God. And somebody in here needs to know, when you let go of what's in your hand and you release what's in your hand, and you release what's in your hand, that business, that marriage, that it, I can't preach this like I wanna preach it right now, but when you reach, release what God has put in your hand and then you pick it back up, it's got a little some extra on it. Got a little some extra on it. So he takes the rod of God, he lifts that thing up and the, the Red Sea, I wish I could do sound effects like guys can, I can't. And it just opens. Like guys have this amazing way to do it. I can't do it. That's okay. I preach girl. Um, so so the, it opens dry land. They're going through like, 
whoa, this is exciting, but let's come on, hurry up, because there's whales swimming right there, right? So, so they get across on dry land, and then they stand there, and God says, oh, you thought that was cool, watch this. This is what I do with people that jack with my people. And he drowns the whole army in one fell swoop because God is a God like that. He's bad like that. So, so that happened, right? Now we're, now we're past that. We've got miracles. Silence for 400 years. Miracles, signs, wonders. Wow, God. Woo, leadership. All this stuff is coming into place for us. But we still don't know you real well. See, but Moses knows you. We don't really know you real well. And so we're a few weeks, actually, they think about three months into this journey. And they come to this place called Rephidim. This is Exodus 17 and verse 7. And Rephidim, the, 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 the word of, I looked it up in the original because sometimes you get really cool stuff, right? When you study yourself full. But I found out that Rephidim means a place in the desert. I was like, what am I going to do with that? That's nothing. A place in the, duh, God, okay, it's a place in the, Rephidim, okay, it's nothing. And then I was doing something in my house, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, Rephidim is like a Tuesday. It's just any old day. It's nothing special, it's not high and holy, it's not a big season, it's not a slow season, it's just a normal place. It's a place in the desert, it's any old day, it's like a Tuesday. Like any day in your life, like any common day in your life. And they're at Rephidim, and they're thirsty. And what gets me here is the, how the people of God are, because we do cause drama. I'm sorry. We do. Church folk are drama. It is the way it is sometimes. And, and they said to their leader, they look at Moses, and we've had the pillar of cloud. We've had the pillar of fire. We've had the closing of the sea. We've had lots of cool stuff. But they're thirsty. And it's kind of like those Betty White Snicker commercials. You're not yourself when you're hungry. You're not yourself when you're thirsty. And so they're like freaking out. And they go to Moses, to their leader, and this is what they tell this man. They said, did your God, drama, did your God bring us out here to die? Us, our children, and our livestock? I know there's a pillar of cloud. I know there's a pillar of fire. I know that, but we're thirsty. Did your God, oh, what happened to this? My deliverer. But it's Tuesday and things got rough. And so they're like, did your God bring us out here to die? Us, our children, speaking of generations, and our livestock, speaking of their livelihood, their finances, and their business. Did you bring us out here? Did your God bring us out here to die? And this is the kicker line to me. Is he with us or not? I know ain't none of y'all ever got an attitude like that. I'm probably the only one. God, you with me or not? This is jacking up. Are you with me or not? And so they're grumpy, they're complaining, they got a bad attitude, but the truth is they're scared. They're scared they're not healed in this place of rejection in their life. They're not delivered from the slave mentality that they've had. How could they be? It's been 400 years, it's all they've ever known. It's what they ate, it's what they slept, it's what they drank, it's what they breathed, it's, what, it's everything. And they're like, grumpy and complaining and murderous. They were gonna kill Moses. Now let me just ask this question. I, I don't understand. What were they gonna do when they killed Moses? 
He's the one with the rod. He's the one who hears the voice. He's the one that, what you, what, when you get mad at a leader, you need to slow your roll. I'm trying to say, what was their plan B? I mean, anyway, that's a whole other thing too. So they're grumpy, they're mad, they're thirsty, and they're ready to commit murder. Now, God, Moses is smart. Moses is like, hold up. Your people. Now, Lord, I'm trying to do what you said to do, but your people, Jesus. No, he didn't he call him Jesus. He called Jehovah, but it doesn't matter. He, he says, goes to God. God instructs Moses, thank God, to hit the rock with the rod of God, with the staff, and water flowed out. And then they got to drink, and their thirst was quenched, and they could go a little further. But what happened next is amazing to me. Verse 8 of Exodus 17 says, Then came Amalek. Then came Amalek. Then came the enemy. Then came the bully. Amalek means one who licks blood. These are ruthless fighting people. These are people that came up on them suddenly. Then, in the middle of the desert, on a Tuesday, someplace in the desert, after they're grumbling, after they're complaining, after they're trying to kill their leader, then came Amalek. Amalek, the one, he's just like a bully, the, the whole army of them. Amalek, they attack from the rear, it's recorded, because that's where the weak and infirmed were. I said, God, why are you showing us this? Because the enemy would attack us in our weak areas, the places we don't have covered, the stuff we don't want anyone to see, the thing that we don't bring into church on Sunday morning, that part of our life that we think is private, that part of our life we think nobody knows about. Then came Amalek and attacked him in the weak spot. And right then, he was attacked from the rear. Moses calls Joshua. It's the first time we see Joshua mentioned. I know we're going quick, but that's okay. Moses calls out to Joshua, and, and this is the first time we've ever seen Joshua. First mention of this guy. Not the last time we're going to see him, but this is the first time we see him. And, and he, he tells Joshua, Joshua, you got to pull some guys together. We're going to fight. We're going to, what? <laughs> Who knows? Excuse me. We know that Moses went up on the hill with Aaron and her. And that's a whole leadership message. We're not talking about that. He goes up on the hill with Aaron and her and Joshua and the men fight in the valley. When Moses had the rod of God lifted, they were winning. When, that, when his arms would come down, they were losing. So Aaron and her come alongside and of their leader and to keep that staff, that rod in his hands held high. And the Bible records that they fought until the sun went down. This wasn't after school fight. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you at the park. And you're in junior high. I'm going to Somebody comes. No, 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 no. These people had to fight until the sun went down. Fighting. His rod is up. They're winning. His rod is down. They're losing. His rod is up. They're winning. His rod is down. They're losing. And he had to keep that thing up to ensure victory for God's people. And I don't know about you, but it was kind of good news to me when I realized this, that even after their dryness, and even after their weariness, and even after their grumbling, and even after their doubt and fear, and even after their complaining, God could still pull out a victory. He still had their back. He still said, I got you. I know you're still half crazy. Just keep walking with me and let me show you what I can do. I'm pretty glad about that. I haven't always had it all together, still don't. But I know that when, I sh when, that when Amalek attacks, I got someone showing up. It's the first time, y'all. This is a big moment. I really want you to understand this. I want you to see this. I gotta say it like I see it. It's the, it's the first time. <laughs> it's the first battle 
that these people have ever fought in 400 years. These aren't fighting men. These are people who have had their masculinity destroyed. These are people who have had their faith and their hope disseminated. These are people whose confidence and culture and an essence of who they were ripped out a long time ago. These are people that if anybody got the bright idea to do anything would be beaten or murdered. These are not fighting men. And Amalek, ones who lick blood, show up to fight against them. Can you imagine <laughs> what Joshua must have felt like when Moses was like, get some folks together, go fight. I'm going to go up here and hold up my rod. <laughs> like, wait, what? like what? And so this is the first time that they ever had to battle or go to war. But it's not the first time they were attacked. It's not the first time they were attacked, but it's the first time they had to fight. When Pharaoh's army attacked them at the Red Sea, God totally took care of it wiped the whole enemy out. They didn't have to do anything, nothing, but stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They got to watch their leader hold up his rod. God come in, do what only God could do, destroy the whole entire army in one fell swoop, and all they had to do was watch. But today, it's a little different. <laughs> all they had to do was watch. But when Amalek came, now, now with Amalek, now they've been attacked by these fighting, vicious people. God was with them, but they had to do the fighting. They had to do the fighting. What happens, church? What happens when it's your turn to fight? Tell me, somebody needs to tell me what happens when the prayer team in there on a Tuesday. What happens when pastor can't whip out the anointing oil and, and do his thing? Because he's got a thing, y'all. He got a thing. Pastor, it's bad. But what happens on a Tuesday? What happens when it's your turn to fight? <laughs> but Moses is the one that hit the rock. Moses is the one with the experience of God with the burning bush. Moses is the one with the relationship. So Moses is the one with the confidence. But what happens when it's your turn? When you have seen miracles, maybe in your family, Maybe your mama's prayers. I oh, thank God for my mama's prayers. Thank for maybe your grandma's prayers. Maybe the people at the prayer line's prayers. Maybe Pastor Charmaine laid hands on you. Maybe something like that. Maybe pastors come and laid hands on you, giving you a word. But what about when it's your turn to fight? Because see, honey, let me tell you something right now. There are moments when you get to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But there are also moments you've got to put on your armor, lace up your boots, pick up your weapon, and fight. They weren't trained. They had never been in a fight before. Yet here they are. We're going to fight today. We're going to fight today. And the only thing we got to go on is what he's done in this last little bit, last couple months of our life. But see, God didn't call them to fight at the Red Sea because they were still new. He was still showing them, you can trust me. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, you can trust me. Water, bitter water, sweet admirer, you can trust me. Drown the whole daggum army, you can trust me. Got you out in the first place, you can trust me. Now we're walking along and we're walking along and God said, all right, all right, baby, it's time for you to stand up now too. Because sometimes I'm gonna get you out and sometimes I'm gonna go through with you. It's time to fight today. 
There should be maturity in your walk with the Lord. There should be maturity as you go along. There should be confidence built when you look over your shoulder and you remember he had you last time. We got to grow. We got to grow. It's time to mobilize the troops, boo. It's time to lace up your bootstraps, pick up and put on the full armor of God. Grab your sword as a, not as a defense, ha, as an offense, baby. We're not going to sit here, oh, praise the Lord for the presence of God at cathedral. What about when we walk out the door? There has to be a time when you put on your armor and fight the good fight of faith. Listen, they had no training. They were not military people, but they had to fight today. They were former slaves. I don't know, sounds kind of like, uh, like a generational curse to me. Over and over and over defeat, over and over and over bondage, over and over and over broken mentality. And something about coming into contact with the God of the universe starts to break that off of your mentality and your thinking. And maybe, just maybe, you're going to do it through me. Woo! That should get somebody happy. It's one thing to receive a blessing. It's another thing to be one. That's the nature of your father. Hallelujah. Sorry. No, I'm not. Exodus 17. They're fighting. Pastor Charmaine's like, quit saying you're sorry. Like, yes, ma'am. She said, quit. I receive it. Weapons. So, okay. So if they're fighting, here's the question I ask, because I'm going to just give you a preacher insight. Good preachers ask good questions of the text. Great preachers ask great questions of the text. Ask the text a question. Okay. Ask the text. They're fighting. And we know that they win. Where did they get these weapons? Like they didn't have, you know, a gun case at home with their stuff locked up. They didn't have that. They had no access. They've been slaves for 400 years. They didn't, first of all, they didn't even know how to use them. Second of all, they sure enough didn't have them. And I was like, where did these weapons even come from? You've been in 400 years of captivity. You don't get weapons, okay, at, at your disposal. And so it's, there's two schools of thought, but it is definitely agreed upon by scholars that when they left Egypt, so some think that they left with weaponry, some think that they didn't. Either way, they were Egyptian weapons, okay? Either way. And now check this out. <laughs> they didn't have weapons, but they do now. And it is thought, it's a highly thought, um, it's a thought held by theologians, not Christy from Kansas, but by theologians, okay, people that really like dig this stuff out. It is highly thought that after God closed the Red Sea on Pharaoh's army, that the weapons washed up on the shore at the feet of the Hebrew people. Ah, that ought to make somebody happy. The same weapons that had kept them bound, the same weapons that had killed their daddy, the same weapon that had been formed against them is now in their hands and they're gonna fight with it. Woo, that's bad. That is bad. Y'all be like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. No, y'all, they've been slaves. They don't even know how to, which way do I use this? How do I do this? Oh, they're coming to lick my blood. I better figure it out. I got to figure it out. Same weapons that have been used to intimidate them. Same weapons that have been used to keep them in defeat. Jesus, now they're in their hands. The very weapons that had afflicted them and held them captive are now being used in their hands to defeat Amalek. God, God has a way of flipping it, doesn't he? 
Don't you go after your vengeance because you couldn't have thought of this plan. Let him, let him do the thing. It'll trip you out. <laughs> Keep you, will, the very thing, church, that's held you captive, that's kept you in defeat, will be the very weapon that God puts in your hand. God, the thing that bound your mama, the thing that, that crushed your grandpa, the thing that you've just been hanging around, hanging around, the demons that have been following your family. We never do, nobody in our family graduates. Nobody in our family does business. We always broke. We're broke. We this, we that, we this. The same mentality, the same vocabulary, the same demonic attack that followed your people around. God will, in a moment, flip that thing in your hand, and now you got to fight with it. Jesus. What the enemy meant to kill them with, God turned it for their good. Bad because we say that scripture, but we get to see it lived out right here. The same weapon that was formed to destroy you, God will put in your hands to wield a victory because what the enemy meant to destroy you with, God's gonna turn it for your good. It reminds me of King David. King David with his five smooth stones and his sling, he goes out to the valley. Line. Hello. He goes out to the valley to face Goliath. Goliath has in his possession a sword, a sword that was crafted in the camp of Gath. Goliath of Gath. They had crafted it to fit his hand. It was made from enemy steel. It was made in the enemy's camp. It was made for the main enemy, and it was made to wreak havoc on God's people. But one little shepherd boy had the audacity to think, who defies the armies of the most high God. And in a moment, that sword went from Goliath's hand into David's hand, and he cut his head off with it. It reminds me, who in sin did my mother conceive me in iniquity did I come into this world? God will take you from the kingdom of darkness translate you into the kingdom of light just like that. You were used in the hand of the enemy and in a moment you change hands and now you've got, you're fighting on God's side. That's what he'll do when the enemy would crush you. What God would, or what the enemy would mean to crush you with, God will let it be your stepping stone. Stand on top of that thing and tell of his goodness. God, to God be the glory. Israel defeats Amalek. They go back and forth. They go back and forth. They go back and forth. Then there's a victory. I love this part, okay? This part is where we landed in verse 15. God says, it says, the Lord God said, God said this, okay? This wasn't somebody's idea. God, God, Old Testament God, God, right? God said this part. He said, write this down. Put it in a book. I've never seen God up till this part in in Exodus, tell anybody to write anything down. God says, come here, Moses. Listen, boy, you write this down. You put this in a book. This ain't sticky note information. He said, you write this down. It reminds me of my daddy when he gets a little feisty. He'll say, listen here, little girl, you mark my words. I better sit up and say, mark my words. God said, mark my words. Whew. He said, write this down, put it in a book, mark my words, and tell Joshua 
that young man. I want you to plant it in his ear. Why his ear? Because his ear has to do with his mind, his will, and his emotions, his soulish man. I want you to plant this in him deep, plant it deep, write it in a book, mark my words, plant this in Joshua's ear. I will utterly destroy Amalek and wipe them off the face of the earth. That's what your God said. That's what he said. Why plant it in the heart of Joshua? Because he's going to see him again. You're going to see him again. So plant this deep. Plant this deep. I got you. I got you. Amalek, those ones that lick blood, when they come up next time, you just remember. You remember, I had you here. I got you. Write it in a book. Plant it in the heart of Joshua. I'm going to wipe them out. Don't trip out. Don't freak out. There might be a relapse, but I got you. You might face that addiction again, but I got you. Your, your marriage might be falling apart, but I got you. Write it in a book. Plant it in your ear. Way down deep. When you see him again, I got you. Moses builds an altar, and I got to hurry. Moses builds an altar, and he calls the place Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi. It is a compound name of God. Compound names of God. God can't show us all who he is at one time. We couldn't take it. The compound names of God is the good way God shows us his attributes, parts of his character. And in Genesis, he says, I am Jehovah Jireh. I'm probably saying it wrong. I don't care. Jehovah Jireh. What that means, your God who provides. He is the provision and the provider. He says, I got you. In Genesis, I am your provider. Jehovah Jireh. Excuse me, Jehovah. Yeah, Jehovah Jireh. Then in Exodus 15, he says, I am Jehovah, your God, Rapha, the God who heals you. I am your healer and I am your healing. I am your healer and I am your healing. And the next thing we see him say in Exodus chapter 17, he said right in that verse, Moses builds an altar and he reveals himself. I am Jehovah Nissi, your banner. Now some of y'all are clapping real good because you're probably deeper than I am. Because I was like, okay, I get it. I need a provider. That makes sense to me. I understand that I need a healer. Thank you, God. What's the big deal about a banner? Like of all the other compound names of God, Jehovah, Shalom, my peace. Yes, God, thank you. Jehovah, my righteousness, all these different things. But Jehovah, my banner? I don't know. Maybe it's me. I'm just not deep. I don't know. But I was like, okay. So then I was prompted to find out a little bit about a banner because it wasn't very impressed. And so I asked some questions. I understand the needs for the others, but I didn't understand the need for the banner. So I started studying the banner. Jesus. A banner, according to Webster's Dictionary, is a pole or a standard that is to be raised high, that is to be conspicuous, and that is to declare who's coming. I about pulled my own bun out with my microphone. He's going to declare who's coming. Y'all think I wear this for a hair? Do I wear it because I sweat so bad? It's like a dead cat laying on my neck. (laughs) Wear it up. Get it out of the way. Jesus. 
A banner is a pole or a standard. It's to be raised high. It's to be conspicuous. And it declares who's coming. The primary purpose for a banner, and we're almost finished, the number one identification, the number one purpose of a banner is identification. It identifies who you belong to. Jesus, when I was in high school, I played for one entire year in the band, and I was terrible. I played the clarinet. I was ninth chair clarinet because whoever got tenth chair probably wasn't there on the day that we had to audition. I was terrible because I didn't want to practice and I didn't want to do the things. I just wanted to be in the band because it was cool at our school. So whatever. That lasted one year. And when we, <laughs> this band, we marched. We were a marching band. Anybody else marching band? Jesus, right? Okay. So we wore these hot, itchy wool uniforms with these tall hats that made us look like giant Q-tips. And here we are in these itchy, hot wool uniforms in Southeast Texas, not Southeast Texas, Southwest Kansas. That's where I was, hello. I was in Kansas at my school, and I, I was terrible. I was terrible. I was not good. Besides the fact that I was not a stellar clarinet player, uh, I, I just, I didn't like the uniform. I wasn't real coordinated with the... I just, God in heaven, it was bad, y'all. I tried to make it like it was cute. Look, when you're 5'1 and you're, no, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. But besides the fact that I was not a stellar clarinet player, our band had a history of winning. So much so that they called us, for real, t-shirts and everything, with quotation marks, that liberal band. We were bad. We were the winningest band in the five-state area in, in whatever division our school was. We were bad. We had won over and over state championship after state championship, marching contest after marching contest. We were that liberal band. And we had a reputation for winning. And I want you to know something. No one cared about the five-foot-one terrible clarinet player with a broken reed on my clarinet in my hot, itchy wool uniform. All they knew is when they saw that banner coming, that liberal band, they knew the most winning marching band in the whole region was coming. And we struck fear in the hearts of the competition. Because we were that liberal band. Because the banner that went in front of us declared who was coming. The banner identified us as the victors. The banner that went before us said, you better sit up and pay attention because that liberal band is on the move. What's one of the number one things that a banner is for, purposes of a banner is identification. It identifies you as belonging. God and belonging to God. The people of Israel had been captive. Actually, the Hebrews, they weren't even the people of Israel yet. The, the Hebrew people were captive for 400 years. And aside from the stories and the scriptures, they very well could have lost their identity. They didn't know who they were. They, were having, they, they had no clue. And then Jehovah reveals himself as their banner establishing their identity in him, that they belong and they belong to Jehovah. Later in Numbers chapter two, 
God commands Jacob, Jacob's sons to divide into different tribes and all that kind of stuff, 12 tribes. And, and they all had an identification banner. They all had their banner. They, they built their camps under their banner. They, they had their families under their banner. They were identified by, the, by their banner, but they could have never, ever had personal identification if God had not identified them as belonging to him. Mm, mm, mm. Before you can find out who you are, you must find out who he is. <laughs> Our identity is in Christ. He is not embarrassed of us. He's not ashamed of you. <laughs> He's not intimidated by you and your bad self. He identifies you as belonging to him. My God, Matthew chapter 16 wants to jump out of my head and preach. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He looks at them. He says, who do men say that I am? I got to hurry. He says, who do men say that I am? And he says, well, some of them say, well, some of them say you're Moses and some say you're the prophet. And some say this. And then he kind of gets downright to it. What he really meant to say is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And in that moment, it's a big moment. It's a big moment. Simon Peter looks at him. First time, first time, first time ever in history this happens. Simon Peter goes, oh, you, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And right then in that moment, first time this is ever revealed to humankind, right then in that moment, Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this truth and this revelation, I will build and establish my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to know something. Simon Peter could have not known who he was, what he was made for, what his calling or his purpose in life was until he identified who Jesus was. If you want to know what you were created to do, if you want to know why you're on this big blue planet, if you have, if you want to know what your purpose is find out who he is hallelujah the second and I'm almost done this the second purpose of a banner is it establishes possession I'm from Kansas. We're right close to Oklahoma, five miles north of the Oklahoma state border. So I had to learn Oklahoma history as well. And there was this part of history called the land rush. And that's when the, it was free open space in Oklahoma. And all you had to go do was register. You got your little claims. It was a wood with a little banner on it that had a point. And when they sounded the gun, you could run and find your land and plunge that claim take it, that claim stake and stake your claim in that land. I want you to know something that it, it says, I possess this land. God says a banner, another reason for a banner is it reveals, it reveals, it reveals who possesses you. God, they are my prize possession. God said, they are the apple of my eye. And just like in the land rush, this land might not look like much right now, but it's mine. I stick my claim to it. Wait till you see what I do with this. I, God, that ought to get somebody happy. You may be in a desolate place, but when he stake his claim in you, wait till you see what he does with it. Woo! Jesus. I gotta go. When Jehovah Nisi becomes, <laughs> when he becomes, another part of staking your claim and showing possession is back in the day when they would have big wars and they'd overthrow castles and stuff like that. Well, actually, they still do it to this day. The losing kingdom would have its banners stripped down, and the winners 
would hang their banner over that kingdom. I want to encourage somebody with this. <laughs> when Jehovah Nisi becomes your banner, he strips the loss off of you. He strips the losing banners of defeat and shame off of your life. He strips your past and every mistake you ever made off of your life. He takes down the banner that hell hung over you and he hangs the banner of heaven over your life. Jehovah Nisi, he rips down the banners of defeat and he hangs the banner of victory over your life. And lastly, the last thing we're going to talk about on the purpose of a banner, it was for celebration. Celebration. Woo, Song of Solomon, he brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. He brought me to a banqueting table. Sounds like a celebration. There's got to be food. When God is your banner of victory, he throws you a party. I remember Psalms 23 says, he feeds us. He says, yeah, uh, uh, uh. you prepare a table before me in the presence. Did you ever think about that? You prepare a table. God throws you a party in the middle of your enemies. God said, pull up a chair, boo. Sit down. Let them watch you enjoy the meal. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Let them watch you enjoy the meal because that's how Jehovah Nisi takes care of us. The same banners that led them into war led them home. Jehovah Nisi will celebrate you. When the victors would come home from battle, <laughs> the standard or the banner would lead the way home. And just like he goes before you into hell, he goes before you into victory. Glory to God forever. And now I think I understand. I think I understand why Moses built an altar. Nobody said, when you win a victory that you absolutely should not win after 400 years of being slaves, you should then therefore build an altar and worship. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. There's no way we could have won this. It makes sense to build an altar. Altars require blood. Altars require sacrifice. Build an altar. Bring a sacrifice. Worship me. Because I pulled a win out through you. Oh, that's bad. That is bad. Because when he was up on the hill, when Moses was on the hill, he'd lift that rod, that standard, that banner. And those in the fight could look up and see hope. Those in the fight could look up and see faith. They could look up. I wanted to bring a little bit of a visual for you today. Those of you that are in the, ba in the battle, those of you... Those of you that are in the valley fighting right now, those of you with the odds stacked against you right now, if you'll look up, if you'll look up, if you'll look up, Jehovah Nisi goes before if you'll look up. I've heard stories from World War II and from men that went away to fight and they said that if we were in a foxhole in the heat of a battle, and bullets were flying past us, if we could just look up and see our flag, we knew we still had hope. We knew we were still in the fight. 
We knew all had not been lost. I want you to know no matter where you are today, no matter how fast hell is coming at you, no matter how bad your own decisions have been, no matter what has been formed against you, I want to encourage you to look up because the banner of victory, the banner that says they belong to me, the banner that says they're mine, the banner that says I celebrate my people, it's waving over you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! My banner! My banner! If you're walking to a courtroom today, look up. His head, he's waving over you. If you're walking home to Hell House, look up. The banner is over you. If you are facing a diagnosis with no hope, look up. His banner goes before you. Hallelujah, look up, look up, look up. And because y'all know how my brain works, and it's crazy sometimes, I start to think, Pastor Stephen, I start to think about how it must have sounded. How the world did it sound once those people won? Like we've never won. Like we've never, ever tasted a moment of victory. And I wonder, as Joshua and the men started to realize that Amalek had been defeated, and they're looking around, and Moses in the night up there still holding that banner, still saying, you're in it, he's with us. I wonder <laughs> how that must have sounded. Did they look around and they said, And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, not even Amalek could stand against us. And if our God is for us, oh my God, y'all, I think he's really with us. Who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, and I know there had to be losses along the way. And I know some men and women died that day. But maybe they walked over and they grabbed somebody's hand and said, Our God is greater. Come on, I'm gonna help you up. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Our God is stronger. God, And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop? Cathedral, and if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God, and He is, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, look up! Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit icathedral.org.